Friday morning on this June 30th, the 6th of Tammuz. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Chukas with candle lighting at 8.11. Get right into our weekly update. The uh, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is Malcolm Honline. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Boker Tov to Glitch Free. <laughs> glitch Free, yeah. One of, the, one of those mornings is going to happen where we're completely... Mm-hmm. Glitch free, thank God. I'm waiting for the president to tweet about you one morning. Ah, that's how you know you made it, huh? <laughs> that's that's it. how you know you made it. Um, well, since we last spoke, uh, the Jewish community lost Rabbi Mayor Zlotowitz. You and I have often spoken about the effect one person can have on really the entire Jewish world, the entire Jewish globe. Uh, his life would be one of that example, correct? No, he would not be one. He is a prime example. He's somebody who accomplished so much and fortunately died much too young. He was a very close friend. I, I think about him all the time now. He's, his contribution beyond uh, the whatever success they had as a publisher, he transformed learning. Right. He made Torah available to people of all kinds, across all barriers. And I think the underlying theme, and if you look at a lot of his Yantav messages, uh, the ones he used to issue before uh, major holidays, all of them had the underlying theme of achdut, of the unity of the Jewish people. And certainly he showed the Torah as a unifying factor. So did you go into the offices of people who are not observant, but you will see art scroll uh, publications there, that people of every stripe of every kind, even non-Jews, who have found the beauty and the the incredible treasure that were, was in the, the volumes that he uh, published. And when he held public events, uh, what you just said, uh, there was perfect evidence there. It was really across the board. I mean, we're talking about people of all different religious backgrounds, geographic backgrounds, uh, certainly not necessarily from the New York area, that's for sure. And I like speaking to people like you who travel the world because you've been to every major city on this globe and you've seen Art Scroll, a books and Svarim, correct? Absolutely. And even in congressional offices, which really surprised me, or, you know, people you would least expect to, to see a, an Art Scroll publication. Yeah, pretty amazing. So we remember Rabbi Mayor Zlotowitz and uh, his work will no doubt continue um, uh, really changing the entire Jewish world. Um, all right, Malcolm, it looks like the uh, American Jewish community is getting involved in this issue regarding the Kotel, and uh, I think much to the chagrin of the Prime Minister and others in Israel as well. Uh, w- would you simply say that Jewish leadership in this country should stay out of this issue, or is it more complicated than that? It is more complicated. Uh, you know, generally the rule, we abide by the rule that people should not get involved in in the internal affairs uh, but when it comes to defense and security, here you have things that impact both communal and personal uh, status issues as, as people see them. I think that there's a lot of distortion and misrepresentation about uh, some of the things. Uh, we had a conference call for with the uh, foreign policy advisor of the prime minister who really articulated uh, the facts as they saw them. Uh, but as you know, this issue has been um, perceived and presented uh, and and uh, is seen here by by many people as uh, deeply troubling, and we get an immense amount 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 of reaction to it. People very upset, and our hope is that it just be resolved very quickly. 
they had an agreement that uh, they did not, uh, that they rescinded or they that it froze. He did not end it. He didn't retract it. He froze it in place for, for part of it, not even the whole thing. Um, and now it's gotten also tangled with issues related to the conversion bill. Yeah. So we'll see over the weekend how they how they are able to maneuver and manipulate it. And it seems the conversion discussion led to a, a big blow up uh, uh, in that meeting today in the Knesset. And on top of that, um, the, um, uh, the 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 groups that are you know calling for uh, Israeli action or Israeli government action. It's funny, and it's hard to believe I'm even saying this because usually you know I, I like when leaders are decisive. In this case, I sort of can't blame the prime minister for kicking the can down the road. He is so between a rock and a hard place, I'm almost sympathetic to him in this case that it's almost impossible to resolve. It is, and that's the problem when you politicize issues uh, of this kind. These are, are sensitive issues, and you can't deal with uh, these kind of uh, uh, religious issues and things that uh, uh, in, involve uh, personal standing, or as they as they perceive it, but also for those who who are concerned about the halachic implications, uh, when you have when it's subjected to to the kind of uh, parliamentary maneuvers or political machinations, you know it becomes very complicated, and then so so much misinformation is spread, and and people saying they won't be able to go to Israel, they're not going to be allowed in, all of which is of course not true. Um, what do you think? Will there be a resolution, or we're literally going to wait till the next? Design? No, I think I think Netanyahu really wants to get a resolution. He has pointed a group. I think on the Kotel issues, there will be uh, there could be well in the next days uh, a, a new uh, solution offered. Um, sometimes it's uh, and and everyone should understand how I'm saying this. I know you will, but I don't want to be misunderstood. Uh, sometimes it's easier to deal with ex- existential threats. Than, than, than deal in peaceful times with internal problems like these. Absolutely right. And it's just, uh, yeah, and the unity, and we've said this a million times, the unity that we experience when those ex- existential threats are out there, uh, unfortunately, seems we cannot experience during peaceful and luxurious times like this. But hopefully, cooler heads will prevail, right? But I also hope people don't think that these are these are times when you see what's happened just in the last couple of days along the Syrian border with Iran's manipulations and, and manifestations of Hezbollah presence and uh, the the extension of the uh, the new Shiite uh, Hezbollah um, in Syria and the Shiite militias and the um, and and the revelations about the fact that they, when they shot the missile in December was the the target had a mug and David on it and the threats and the missiles that we just saw in the, in the Al-Quds parade and the, the demonstrations taking place in Europe and Africa and Asia in New York and Toronto with signs in some places that said death to Israel death to Jews death to the United States you know we, we shouldn't think that the um, that there is a calm right now. It is not at all. The sea is raging. And it, it may not be an existential danger, but it's certainly a severe and serious threat. Um, back for, yeah, and, and agreed, and we'll talk about a lot of that in just a moment, but back just for a second. You're, you're, I don't know if you'd call it a sensitive position or not. I know that you, as a leader of the Conference of Presidents, have asked the Israeli government to try to resolve this issue as soon as possible, understood me, and we get the reasons why. But there are certain organizations within the conference who have been extremely vocal. Is that does that put you in a difficult position, or they just represent their 
their own position. People are free to represent their positions. Uh, And if you notice when we said we called for an end to the threats and the intimidation and the people saying, you know, I mean, of all kinds uh, that are going on, um, uh, barring people for Israelis from coming here and and threatening support for Israel, uh, the people can, every body is free to to make their own decisions and organizations individually are free to take uh, positions. As far as I, I, you know, the the um, they issue individual statements uh, or take positions based upon their own internal decision making process. Yeah. All right. So, like, like you always say, voice your opinion, do it in a respectful manner, and understand your position, especially when you're six thousand miles away. Exactly. Right. All right. Uh, talk about the Syrian border. You mentioned uh, some of the activity there. Plus, on top of that, some of it was just after Prime Minister Netanyahu had visited that area, right? I assume no coincidence. No, he he has visited there before, and uh, I don't think there's this buildup has been going on. When you can see from Israel's northern border, Iranian flags across the border. There's a hill overlooking Matula where they have this giant uh, poster of, of Khamenei uh, uh, glowering uh, uh, over uh, the dome of the. Uh, over a picture of the Dome of the Rock, and it says, we are coming in Hebrew and Arabic. And the the um, Nasrallah was boasting of the thousands of fighters that will come and are joining them to help fight against Israel and Afghanistan, from Yemen, from Pakistan. We see the, um, uh, the, the flags of Hezbollah visible clearly along the border. We see UNIFIL troops have done nothing. If anything, they've become more and more of a an obstacle uh, along, and, and we know that the uh, Iranians are building the road that I've talked about for a very long time here that goes through uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, uh, to, to Iran to give them immediate access and brings them close to the border of Israel. The, even the UN ordered uh, Syrian-affiliated troops out of the buffer zone adjacent to the Golan, and Israel, as you know, has retaliated to some of the errant fire that crossed the border because they have to send a clear message. As this buildup is taking place, and they're, they're taking all sorts of prophylactic measures uh, along the, the border, but Nasrallah said that you all con- Israel was concerned about the Lebanese border, now they're going to have to worry about the security in the Golan and, I didn't, and, I didn't in the even, north. I didn't even realize Nasrallah had cooperation with the, the, the group along the Syrian border. I always thought he was exclusively Lebanon. He, Hezbollah was, but Hezbollah was brought into the war in Syria. They've lost, uh, what, 1,500 people there, including key officers. They they are the primary fighting force together with the Shiite militias. Iran doesn't send its own troops to fight. It's uh-huh. using the Hezbollah, and, and now they, they've created this Hezbollah of Syria, not that it, it represents, uh, to my mind, a huge difference. It's it's an extension of what exists already, but they are, are you know, they are making a more blatant expression of the threat that they would like to pose. You know, the early summer discussion, it seems to be an annual tradition, unfortunately, about, you know, war or not war, God forbid, is always, it always seems it's along the Gaza border, the conversation. Uh, not much conversation. I mean, I, I would assume there's there's a, a an Israeli troop buildup in in the area along the Syrian border, right? I mean, there has to be, I guess. There is a buildup of uh, forces and capacity uh, for early detection and for uh, protection of the border. And the Israel, as I said, has a buffer zone, and they've in fact allowed groups to to work out of there. Uh, some that are surprising, but 
because they're not fighting against Israel, that they're they're serving, in fact, to protect the Jordanian border as well. The the um, the, the Gaza border uh, is not exactly cool right now because we've seen the threats from from Hamas. But I don't believe right now that they or Hezbollah wants a war. They don't want to see an escalation of open violence. Uh, it's why Israel puts the markers down so. Um, so quickly, as to, so there is no misunderstanding and, and no um, mistakes made that would lead to uh, you know actual fire and, and uh, which could escalate very quickly. You know you have the the underground factories assembling missiles in Lebanon today, Iranian uh, sponsored, uh, so that they don't have to import it the same ways they did. They they import the parts and it's assembled and uh, even some of it manufactured today in Lebanon and. The Lebanese army and Hezbollah are completely integrated, and they talk about it. They boast about the, the integration, and you see that Hezbollah coming with American-made equipment, which could well come from the Lebanese army, and that we've given them. And the United States provided a billion dollars in aid to, the, to them over the last decade. So the situation is, uh, is constantly changing, and as it is in Syria itself, and Israel doesn't have a margin of error here. They have to take whatever steps are necessary to assure the, their security. Is that really the difference between the North and the South, that Hamas would be just much more ready to jump into a war, and and, and in, in the North they'd hesitate? Uh, you know, they'd hes- I think both are hesitating. Hamas doesn't want war. Islamic Jihad, which is more favored by Iran these days, I think is responsible for some of the very limited missile fire that's uh, taking place, and Israel retaliated very strongly uh, for, for those uh, uh, actions. And Iran has has uh, things to lose. They want to build a naval base now. I think the Russians are, are blocking it, but they have uh, a lot in, invested in Syria right now, and in addition to the tens of thousands of Shiite militia who are there, they also have moved families, Shiite families, in to replace the Sunni population. Uh, something that we don't see the condemnations that uh, you have ethnic cleansing going on in the most blatant form uh, 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 possible. So the the, the um, I think that people have to look at all aspects of this to see the movement of troops, who's building bases, who's got more and more of a vested interest in um, in how things move in in the region. Yeah, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What do you think of the current status of the Trump travel ban? Well, it's, it's a limited one because the court... Uh, authorized him on the interim basis until this is finally resolved to to allow it. So we'll have to see the implementation and the demonstrations. I guess at airports will will uh, have taken place, but I think more muted than in in the past, at least so far. Uh, and the you know the need to be careful about who gets in and uh, where they come from is is one indication of of uh, based on the history and we know the involvements. But the growing network of, of uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, 
demonstrate, as I said, during the Al-Quds Day, when we see it so all over the world, they were able to trigger these these demonstrations. It tells you that there has to be uh, a scrutiny, and it's not just where people come from. Uh, by the way, I, one thing I just want to mention about the Hezbollah in Lebanon that there's this incredible development where they, they have developed in nature reserves. They have uh, a new unit, they, they, some they call it the, the Green Warriors, but others it, it's officially called the Green Without Borders, where they are planting trees and um, actually building lookouts along the border under the guise of these uh, nature reserves, which is what the Israelis used to call the underground Hezbollah tunnels and bunkers in southern Lebanon. Now we're seeing real... Uh, nature reserves, not really meant to deal with any kind of, of uh, climate issues uh, or climate-related issues, but it's it's the, um, and the UN rejected the complaint when, when Israel um, uh, talked about the tree-planting activities, uh, and these are increasingly closer to the border because it gives a cover to them, both to be able to monitor, but also to place missiles and to do other mischievous things uh, along the, the border. So this is um, uh, Green Without Borders, and there are similar groups work together with the municipalities in southern Lebanon and, and the Bekaa Valley, Bekaa, western Bekaa, and, um, and these are directives that are coming directly from Hezbollah. And yet, and so they, they really are, are able to exploit any issue for, for their terrible and devious goals. Unbelievable. What about the, was there any U.N. reaction to the uh, alert by Israel regarding the Star of David that you mentioned earlier being used as a target? Oh, sure. Yeah, because they did file a complaint, am I right? That Israel actually went to UNESCO or to the U.N. and to, to, to inform well, them? Well, there's not, nothing to do with UNESCO. There is a, a big issue with UNESCO, which is coming up on July 2nd next week when we they, and July 7th likely to be a vote where they vote about Hebron and the status of Hebron uh, and the Maris HaMachpelo, the Cave of the Patriarchs, which was going to be declared, again, a Muslim site and the traditional Judeo-Christian name, the historical connection of the Jewish people will be erased from the UN uh, books by the virtue of this kind of an action and it's, it's something we're fighting, but they go beyond it this time because the language, as opposed to the ones on Jerusalem, that we have seen, and on Kevarachal, Rachel's tomb, uh, this one declares these as part of the state of Palestine. So they're even as- ascribing sovereignty to the Palestinians over uh, what is the second holiest uh, city to, to Jews that was the capital before Jerusalem, and the Marat Machpelo, which is probably the oldest Jewish site, uh, holy site in, in the world. Uh, so this is, I know people think it's not important. Believe me, it's vitally important. Well, how is it going? I mean, what would, what would happen if the vote happened today, do you know? It would pass today. Which is not good news. It's just terrible news. Because one by one, they're stripping our past away. They're denying the legitimacy of 3,800 years of Jewish history and 2,000 years of Christian history. That they are saying that, that the, the past didn't exist, that now official documents only name and mention the uh, you know the the uh, Muslim names and all of the traditional names the Temple Mount uh, the Western Wall the Rachel's Tomb Cave of the Patriots they're all going to be changed and yeah. they're only listed as them by their Muslim names. So, so we're at a point of last ditch effort right now. Right now we are working uh, with the countries who are members. Israel is working on it. We are trying. We've uh, we. We have a petition online that people can can see uh, at, at change.org, and 
we um, are asking people to make their voices heard. If those who have contact with UN ambassadors for, from countries uh, where they may do business or have some relationship, to, to be heard right away on, on this because we only have a few days left. You're spending too much time on these UN things. It's taking up a lot of your very valuable time, I see. Yes, and in a body that isn't worth it, it's uh, it's very disturbing. But but the problem is you can't dismiss it, and every people too often do. And when we raise it, I know that they say, you know, why? What do they care? The answer is that your grandchildren will ask. You're going to come back, and it's going to haunt them and us because of what we failed to do when they can't visit these sites because they're only going to be open to Muslims. And they'll say, what are you talking about? The United Nations designated these as Muslim holy sites. Yeah. And our control, our sovereignty, our, our place there has been di- has been diminished and eventually will be denied. With that in mind, uh, join me in wishing Mazel Tov to the couple who got married in Harabayat. However, they went ahead and did it, which is pretty amazing. I don't know if you if you endorse, you know, illegal activity, but I'm going to. Oh, <laughs> so, so we wish them a Mazel Tov. And also in the month of, uh, let me get this right, in the month of Sivan, a 100% increase in the number of Jews who visited Harabayat compared to Sivan last year, which I guess is good news right. for those who believe that visiting there is important because it continues to show the world that it, the importance of it, meaning Harabayat, the Temple Mount, to us, and that we will not uh, you know, easily let go of it. We're going to put up a fight if, in fact, others try to claim it. And the same should apply to people who should be visiting Marsa Machpela. Right. They should be visiting Kevarachal. They have to continue to, to go to these places and to show the you know the, the sovereignty over it and, and the control of it and why it is important to us what's it like for you and we know what kind of role you had in the soviet jury movement to see someone like yuli elstein address the russian parliament it's quite remarkable it's obviously a first in many respects and yuli is a very close friend and speaker of the knesset of israel and gave a very strong address uh, about uh, the issues from that uh, forum. But it's an important statement, and I think it's uh, the symbolism of it may be more important than the substance, but it's certainly uh, quite a remarkable development when you think of here was a prisoner of Zion who came from uh, the gulag and now is sitting in, in that kind of position. Unbelievable. Uh, what do you think of the Trump-Modi meeting in terms of the uh, United States relationship with India? Seem to have come off well, and now Bodhi, Modi is going next week to Israel, which is a first for sitting prime minister. Oh, he'll be in Israel next week? Yes. Interesting. And he's very excited about it. There's a, a lot of anticipation uh, of the of the visit, and uh, the prime minister is probably going to Germany for the coal uh, funeral, uh, or is going for the uh, uh, for the former chancellor, Helmut Kohl. Uh, and then on his return, I think he comes on the on Tuesday or so um, to Israel for and he rejected a visit to Ramallah. I mean, he's a very courageous and bold guy. When he was governor of Gujarat, he established very close. That's a state in India. He established very close ties with Israel with billions of dollars of investment. And now, as prime minister, he has been very forthright, openly associating with Israel. It's it's an amazing development. Pretty amazing, and uh, and that would be the that would be the brief right on the Israel India relationship at this point, only improving and in some ways surprising. Uh, yes, and remember, India is the second largest Muslim country in the world. Right. 
uh, I think of 250 million Muslims, and it's uh, it's an economic powerhouse. The, the amount of trade has steadily gone up between Israel and India. Uh, it's it's a great development, and and at the same time, you see the Chinese enhancing their relationship with Israel. Unfortunately, that these countries don't necessarily vote in the United Nations the way we want yet, but there certainly has been huge strides made in the relationships. Has Israel made progress against these cyber attacks? A lot of publicity for the ones that have affected Israeli hospitals, but uh, some of us heard last month about the ones affecting that affected Israeli and other countries' hotels. Uh, and it seems that this is getting to a level of sophistication that has never been seen before. Against Israel, against the United States, against everyone. Yeah. There are thousands of attacks a day against Israeli on the Internet, against Israeli sites, Israeli institutions, and they have been able to, to thwart the vast majority of them. Periodically, some get through. That's inevitable. It happens here as well. And, uh, and Israel is... The leading is leading the world in the defense against uh, cyber attacks and uh, enhanced cybersecurity. Uh, countries all over the world are coming to them to to learn and to hire them and to enlist them in, in their domestic campaigns against it. Did you read that article? I don't know if you saw the article where there's an Orthodox Jew who's at the forefront of fighting these cyber attacks. I mean, I'm sure there's some in Israel as well, but there's one here in the New York area that has a prominent role in the whole thing. No, I didn't see the article. Um, Iran, uh, the well, let's let's go back for a moment. The I, I'm confused. I'm confused about what happened yesterday with Iraq, because um, Iraqi Prime Minister has declared an end to the IS Caliphate after Iraqi forces captured the compound of a landmark mosque in Mosul. So this is this is Iraq versus ISIS essentially. It is, and it's because the the place they captured was the site where he declared the IS caliphate. So they're saying now, with the recapture, it's symbolic uh, significance. They're saying, but what is the uh, what is the ISIS presence in Iraq at this point? Well, they still have a presence, but it is isolated. They are they are contained, and um, uh, and they're still fighting in in Syria as well. But in Iraq. The forces have have uh, contained, I think, the presence and the ability of ISIS to 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 operate there. And a week later, because we discussed this last week, is there anything any more clarity regarding ISIS's presence in Iran and how the government of Iran is dealing with them? Well, they arrested some people, but um, the question of whether this is really ISIS or is it domestic terrorists is it, which is something they will always cover up. Uh, they don't want and, and try not to allow there to be any information about the domestic unrest. Uh, there are people who have said it could have been Kurds, it could have been Azeris, the Baluchis, many of the other minorities who are very unhappy with the current situation and with the government. So uh, ISIS is, of course, a much more convenient target to to blame for it. It hasn't been proven yet that the, they were able to get through and to, to carry it off. So that was a, an immediate reaction to, to the attack. Right. And the U.S. government is ready to seize a Manhattan skyscraper from an Iranian-American charity. The jury, jury found the charity's majority ownership was derived from financial dealings that violated sanctions against Iran. Is this a drop in the bucket? Is this happening, you know, a hundred more times in other places, and this is essentially the, whole, the only one they've gotten, or this is a rarity, and they're able to, uh, to every time it comes up, uh, if these are being obtained illegally, sanction-wise, they're able to seize them? Yeah, I think it's the latter. 
that the this is first of all the symbolism of this and you may recall that I discussed this many years ago we had targeted this building which was owned by the Alavi Foundation which is Iranian and the uh, supposedly an Iranian American charity but they uh, but the court found that the majority ownership was derived from financial dealings that violated the sanctions uh, against Iran, and the they, they can seize this building, which is valued by some people from between a half a billion and a billion dollars. They also seized sites in in several other places where similar uh, accusations have been made. In fact, in this site, they said there's a secret interest of the state. Bank of Iran, Bank Melli, which you remember we've talked about in the past, and uh, they've, they're they saying that the government, uh, the U.S. government is saying that Iran secretly controlled the building for years and, and many millions of dollars in rent payments were being funneled uh, to it from the partnership of the Alavi Foundation and, and the Shell Company. So it is, uh, it is very important, and the funds would go to those who won judgments uh, over $5 billion worth, I think, at this point in terrorism-related judgments against uh, Iran, and uh, including claims by some of those who were victims of the September 11th uh, attacks. So it's um, uh, we don't know yet what impact it'll have on the Alavi Foundation, uh, but there's, uh, there's long been concern expressed, and we've talked about it in this and, building. And, and they put up quite a fight, legally, a legal of fight. Of course, yes, yes, of course. No, as I said, this fight has been going on for, for many years. It's a 36-story building, and, uh, you know, as a front for the Iranian government, supposedly, and a gateway for all of this money to be funneled to them, it's a serious, important decision. Finally, what do we know about this claim that uh, Israel did not allow uh, certain newborns from Gaza to get into Israel for uh, treatment? That it's not true that Israelis have said they know of no such cases. Then, in fact, it was the the government, uh, the PA, that has barred people from getting the permits, the vouchers necessary to 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 come to Israel. About sixteen hundred people being treated for all sorts of things, from cancer to uh, childhood diseases, and they they used to pass through and as part of the punishment package that they initiated. But they also you know charge people who want to come from the West Bank. People don't know how many thousands. Right now, I think in Gaza it's sixteen hundred, but there are thousands who come from the West Bank to Israeli hospitals to be treated for or for all sorts of medical uh, uh, treatments, and the the PA charges them, and unless you're a member of the elite in the Fatah circles, et cetera, which, who get top priority, you can wait for months to to go across. And, you know, there are Israelis who, who volunteer and who sit along the border at the crossing points to take them to the hospitals for free, just people volunteering. To um, I think it's called Road to Recovery. This organization, I think they have 500 volunteers, Israelis, who come there to help uh, them get to the hospitals and then back to, to go back across the border after their treatment. So this is, uh, you know, it's another one of those myths that are, are spread, and two people are too ready to accept it or believe that there's some veracity. Israel that treated 3,000 people from Syria, treating thousands and thousands of Palestinians, they're going to deny babies the treatment. Not a chance. And Nikki Haley does not let up, does she? It's amazing when it comes to Iran in the U.N. Oh, she's been very forthright in her speeches and, and uh, being ahead of the curve on some of the, on some of the issues and uh, certainly outspoken and changes the tone there. I mean, it puts down a marker, raises the standard when the United States stands up and speaks out for, on these vital issues. You think Israel will have a quiet summer, Malcolm? 
Uh, I think Israel, there's, there is no immediate danger. The, the problem will be in Israel, between Israelis, right. not necessarily from the outside. But, look, there's, the, the, nobody can predict what, what will be in this kind of uh, transitional time when you have so many parties at play. And, and the, the danger is not that somebody intentionally starts a conflict, that they back into it, that some incident, that there's an exchange of fire and it goes awry or it, it escalates and then people respond. The, um, I don't believe right now, I know that right now, there's no party that has the power to do so that is, is interested in initiating a real armed conflict. Have a wonderful Shabbos. I thank you for you joining too. us, and we'll speak again next week. Malcolm, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, a comprehensive weekly update here on a Friday morning at JM in the AM.